This is the Kane's Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget that you can download or subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen to WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. Now, here's your Kane's Corner Podcast host, Adam Gold. We're at the arena because eventually they'll tell us when we're going to have the Eastern Conference Finals. John Forslund, the voice of the Hurricanes, we enjoyed you uh, on NBC Sportsnet, but it looks like we're getting you back for uh, for radio. I know that's exciting, though. It is. I, you know, it, it's, it's great to be part of this and part of it the way I want to be now. So good and looking forward to it and, and more great moments and uh, still can't believe this is happening, to be honest with you. Well, I don't think you're the only one. I had a moment with uh, with the head coach after game four of the Islanders as we were walking back after the press conference, and there's all sorts of family and friends and the hugs and the high fives, and he turned to me and he goes, and I'm going to have to edit this, um, can you believe it? And I'm like, once I saw the team play, Against Washington in the playoffs, yes, I can believe it. I thought they would beat Washington. Uh, I I knew they were going to beat the Islanders, um, or at least I thought they had a great chance to beat the Islanders. Is this team just built the way they play? Is it just built for the playoffs? Well, I'm going to give you a little credit because you sent me a, a message, and I think you depicted exactly what has happened here. That Rod Brindamore has created a bunch of Rod Brindamores, <laughs> and I really and I really believe that's what's happened here. No matter who it is we're talking about, no matter how they play, what role they have with the team, that player is completely vested and committed mm-hmm. to accomplishing whatever that is supposed to be, and and really making sure that they put in all the work needed to make to make sure they're at the best all the time and collectively they've been able to pull this off the only thing that is not a surprise to me is the tightness of the group which i think we've been talking about for months right that they had a certain something and that might bode well if they ever got there well now they're here and then they go through the round one and round two and now they get to the next step who knows what the possibilities are they have the it factor and they're led by a guy who's been able to push all the right buttons but i think gain their respect Ask them to do things that are not outside the realm of what they're supposed to do, but do it completely the right way, and that's why we're here. And part of the reason I thought that Rod has created a team of Rods was the reason you and I were on the same page. The reason that this was the perfect, Rod was the perfect fit to be the coach was that it was not a job. It wasn't a coaching job to him. It was it was personal to him. This organization is personal to him. The city, uh, the arena, the fans, are, it's personal. And he has man- managed to instill that in the players, the way they feel about each other, the way they feel about what's going on here, the way they look at him. And I think Justin Williams, the captain, is an extension more than I've maybe than I've ever seen in hockey, more than Rod maybe was of Peter LaViolette. Justin is an extension of Rod, and I think that's, to me, the thing that's going on here. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right about the LaViolette thing, too. I I think at times, you know, those two, Rod and and Peter, probably clashed on a Mm -hmm. few things, right? But it worked, because there was always ultimate respect between the two. Williams is a disciple of Rod Brindamore, and I I believe that's kind of, uh, you know, how that, that friendship and that partnership has worked out over time. Um, I I agree with you, Adam. I I think Rod understood where the team was at, but also where the franchise was at. And he knew 
that maybe he could be the guy that could at least take a run at this and make a difference. And he'd, he'd go down swinging if, if it didn't work. And I think that's why, as we talked last summer, I told you, I said, this is the most excited I've been in mm-hmm. 10 years about anything attached to the Hurricanes was the fact that they let him put his hand up and they picked him to become the coach because he understands everything about this, everything about again, what his team is going through on the ice, but what the franchise is about, where the business was at, all these things. There's a lot of work to be done yet moving forward, mm-hmm. but this is a this is well-timed all the way around. Yeah, and it's I think it's kind of cool that we're going to see Boston. We'll get to Boston yeah. uh, in a minute, but I want to go back to, is the team built for this? Structurally, there's enough skill. They're not t- they're not drunk with, you know, all sorts of offensive skill. But there's enough to go along with a lot of speed, enough size, but it's the way they play. They are a north-south. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of fanciness uh, to this team. There's a, there's pockets of it, but for the most part, it's a straight up and down the ice. Their game is getting behind the defense. So in a way, they're kind of even when they're not playing their game, if they can get to it in pockets, it can be enough. That's really what it was against the Islanders. Absolutely, but uh, uh, you know, it's it's based on a hardworking foundation. You have to be able to skate. You got to be mm-hmm. able to move. And certainly, when it gets into deeper into series, you see how well conditioned they are. You see within games how they're able to, you know, be better in the third period, be better in dominant and overtimes, <laughs> and so on. Um, that's all because of the work they put in. But I think when you look at their team, yes. Um, in some ways, they don't have that that it factor with talent, but I think they might because I when you look at their defense, true, that's the strength, mm-hmm. and their group of defensemen, even with the injury to Trevor Van Riemsdyk, is still so dynamic, so fundamentally sound, and really the strength of the team. And if you look at all the great teams, including the Edmonton Oilers back in the day, they had great defensemen. Yeah, Montreal Canadiens had great defensemen. Mm-hmm. Go right down the list. Yeah, the Islanders were Islanders loaded on defense. Great defense. Yeah. So that's the that's the support factor that every team needs is a group of defensemen. Then you get to the goalie, and then you work your way out. So I think when you look all the way around, they're going to match up against anybody right now. It's been proven. And then when you get to their team game, yes, that's their identity. And finding an identity during this season was hard to get to, but once they did, they know how they need to play. They know what it is. And not a lot of teams can say that. Organizational depth is a thing that's thrown around in the sport. But, man, this year has been a testimony to how that is a truism. Uh, Greg McKegg was really the third center call-up because first it was Nicholas Waugh, and then it was Clark Bishop, and then it was they got to Greg McKegg, and now he's a guy they can't take out of the lineup. Sacramento Lennon came up midway through the season. Uh, actually, was brought up a second time, and I, he's, it's a huge part of this team, and they hope to get him back at some point during the Eastern Conference Finals. Then you get the rookies, and not only just Svechnikov, but the way Lucas Walmark has played, and what Warren Fogle has done, even though he had a about a 60-game pocket during the year where goals were hard to come by for him. He's still always managed to do something, whether it's killing penalties. He makes some mistakes, but he's been great in the in the playoffs. So, I mean, it's a, it's a cliche, but it works for this team. It does, and I think the epitome of that is Patrick Brown. Right. Here's a guy who didn't play a regular season game and has made a contribution, a strong contribution yeah. in all three zones, being physical, 
just doing the right things again. So, yeah, and I, I'll tell you what, I'm surprised because I, I, I thought the trading deadline, they're gambling here. Mm-hmm. It, it's okay to stick with the same guys, but you have to think if you're going to the playoffs or have a chance, you'd like to have some NHL depth. But right. they were all about... If we get there, this is what they said, we'll get to our call-ups. We'll get to our minor league depth. Okay, but they're going to jump in and play? Well, they have. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's really um, – and, and some of that, you know, again, gets to uh, uh, what's gone on here, but also in the fact that back in 2014, Ron Francis made a commitment to get players and to, yeah. to accrue picks and and get a, a stockpile of guys that are at least prospects to play. And that's what you want. And now you see what Charlotte's doing in the American League. And yeah. They should win the championship, I would think, or at least be in it. Um, that's a big step, big step for the organization. Yeah, I think uh, almost the entire, at least the first five rounds of the 2015 draft have already, uh, have already been here. Boston, when you think about the 2009 run, I mean, it's. I, I guess we always think of Scott Walker and everything that happened in game. Was it game four or game five? And then what happened in game uh, game seven? Game five here or five there, and then game seven. Um, I mean, is it is it that simple that it's all about Scott Walker? Yeah, I think I think that was a rallying point for the team. I think a lot of things happened that year. So first, it's the the stumble for Laviolette falls out of grace, right. gets fired. Paul Maurice 2.0, <laughs> Ron Francis, assistant coach, Tom Barrasso, height and roll <laughs> as a penalty-killing coach. But then the, the team, like this one, it was a second-half deal, carried in large part by Cam Ward. I think yeah. that was Cam Ward's best goaltending of his career, was yeah. the second half of 09, to the point where he was exhausted and threw his back out and could barely walk in the conference final. and. They were swept out by the eventual champion. But I think that team had the remnants of the 06 yeah. still hanging around. They had some some other things pointed at the future. Some key moves were made for UC Jokinen, Sergei Samsonov, Tuomo Rutu. Cole came back. Cole right? came back for round two. Uh, Williams left. Yeah. Right? So it's there's a lot of interesting storylines surrounding that. But that was a, a team that already had a lot going for it, that had had some misfortune, some near misses in regular seasons where they could have been in the playoffs. Yeah. So that was different. And I think the market was different, too, because it was three years removed from a championship. So they're still expecting greatness here. Mm-hmm. This is after 10 years of nothing <laughs> and a lot of attrition, apathetic feel in the market. And now this. And really resurrected by an iconic figure as the coach, iconic figure as the captain. Jordan Stahl Mm -hmm. finally feeling some joy about being part of this after putting a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. Uh, Justin Falk is your longstanding member of the team that's had his highs and lows and had a fabulous season. But then all these young guys, all these young guys who have either been drafted or traded for were coming together at the right time. We'll lead you to believe that it's not going to stop here, you would hope. Oh, uh, I I think they're as good as anybody left. Right. They really are as good as anybody left. Uh, Real quick, I uh, sent Jim Rutherford uh, a text earlier today. I've been meaning to do this to apologize to him for criticizing the Jordan Stahl trade. Uh, 
And I didn't explain why. I just felt like, you know what? In retrospect, Jim, you were right. That was a good trade. It's one of the best maybe uh, in Hurricanes history. Um, Brad Marchand. He is, uh, I heard, listening to a podcast, they kept calling him a rat. If I were Brad Marchand, I would take that as a compliment. He does some things that are above and beyond what you would expect a great player to do. But I think I don't think he'd be the kind of player he is without stepping outside of that. I don't think he hurts anybody for the most part. The league lets him do it. Lets him get away with the punch to the back of the head of the guy sitting down. It was Harrington, I think. That's right. Uh, the uh, stomp, stomping on Cam Atkinson's stick at a, at a face-off. They let him get away with that stuff. Um, but he's... He's a spectacular player, right. and every team would want him. Right. How do you put up, if you're a teammate of his, how do you put up with the antics? Well, you have to understand that um, Brad Marchand, Marchand, because his name... <laughs> depends on the day. Depends on the day, because he's, he's responsible for all of this, because he keeps changing the pronunciation of his name. <laughs> so anyway, number 63 for the Bruins is um, a really good guy. Right. He really is. And he is a community-based guy. He's a Bruin through and through. His teammates love him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the one thing that people need to understand before they make him public enemy number one. Because he will, in this series, become public enemy number one. Going in, he probably is. But he will. He'll do something or something's going to happen. It'll get really ugly. But every player has a toolbox. And for him... You know, that's in his, to be the pest, the antagonist, is in his toolbox. And without that, I'm not sure he's as effective as a player. Right. Um, he has a high level of skill, excellent skater, good puck skills, has a decent shot, very good shot at times. And he's got the opportunity to play with Patrice Bergeron, <laughs> which, you know, he's going to go right. down in history as one of the greatest players ever. But when you look at Marshan's numbers and you look at, you know, his shorthanded success, his plus minus for his career, his game-winning goal, acumen, he, he's a legend legendary player. Yeah. So, you know, I'd hate to see him stripped down to the fact where he's neutered to a point where he can't do any of this stuff. Because I just think that gets his team going, that gets him going, and it pushes the other side in a playoff series on the brink of losing their discipline and maybe tilting the series in his team's favor. Do I agree with a lot of things he does? Not really. Does it bug me? No. Nothing that he does really bugs me. I look at it as that's the way it is. It's up to the National Hockey League to then. It's almost like saying you have a student in class who misbehaves yet never gets punished by the teacher or the principal. At some point, those people are responsible for throwing it down. And they, they as a league, have to look at some of the things he does and say, okay, we're going to look the other way in this one, but we're going to come over here and we're going to apply some discipline over here, which has happened throughout his career. So really, he doesn't uh, irritate me as much, um, but he will do something, I'm sure, and we probably all be irritated by it. You think he'll lick anybody in this series? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's always that possibility. As long as Gene Simmons is not around, I think we'll, we'll think we'll be okay. John Forslund joining us here on the Canes Corner Podcast. Uh, Charlie McAvoy had a bad hit. Uh, the league is going to investigate this, and my guess is there may be a suspension here because it did look uh, like it was right to the head to, of Josh Anderson. Yeah. Looked like he left his feet. Looked like it was targeting. But again, we don't know. Uh, but what, what's your read on stuff like that? The read is it's 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 bad, and um, 
I'm not sure. I know he hit it. Principal point of contact, targeted the head, and I believe he'll be suspended. I think the rule's kind of curious because the, the referees now, you saw with Michael Furlan, they got it wrong. Right. Match penalty. Well, in the rule book, you only have a minor penalty and a match penalty. There's no five-minute major with the opportunity to stay right. in the game, which for me gets to two things here. The officials in a split second have to determine the, the if the principal point of contact was head and the malicious intent. If malicious intent is there, then you automatically expel the player match penalty. It's up for review. That's what happened to Furlan because they thought it was worse than it right. actually was, and they got the whole thing wrong. <laughs> yeah. In this case, Cody I think... Cody Eakin. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Right. In this case, I think what happened here was Steve Kozari, ironically, same referee, the Furlan deal. Um... He's going to look at that and say, I'm taking now, they're going to take the easy way out. Mm-hmm. I'm calling a penalty. I'm not going match because I'm not sure. And I don't have time to figure out if I'm sure or not. Unless I see it as a malicious intent of right. retaliation, then that's the way it's going to be. They have to adjust the rule. If it's that bad, shoulder, elbow, on head, direct, should be a five minute major. And the player should get kicked out of the game. But a match penalty is different because a match penalty goes right to discipline. Right. Match penalty goes right to game misconduct. And they end up rescinding game misconducts, you know, and the referees are sick and tired of it. I think this is a problem between the refs and the league because the refs are tired of getting shown up. They're the ones, even though we all want to kill the umpire, they're the ones that in a split second have to determine not only the hit and the foul, but the intent. Yeah. It's hard to do. Uh, one more thing about Boston. Uh, somebody asked me who I would prefer to see the Hurricanes play, Columbus or Boston. I thought Boston might have the better team. I think Columbus has the better goaltender. The Tuka Rask we saw oh. in game six in Columbus is that's vintage. I don't think Tuka Rask gets any better than that. I didn't think he was great yeah. throughout the series, but he was, he was great actually in game five yeah. uh, and in game six. Uh, is that the real Tuka Rask that we saw? I think so, because I think he's a really good elite goaltender um, who's maligned in his market. So he is the most maligned star player, I think, in Boston right now. Um, It's very similar to what went on here over the years with Cam Ward. And Mm -hmm. people will argue that here and say, well, (laughs) you know, all that Uh stuff. I don't bring that name up. I'm just saying that that is what's going on with Tuka Rask. So there are many people who are detractors and after watching last night will still be. And if he were to stumble in the Carolina series, they'll turn on Tuka Rask. I think he knows that. I don't think he's blind to it. And I think he's just, you know, older, more mature, but he's always been excellent. And, um, that was his best game I think he ever played last night. I, w- I would have mm-hmm. to say that. I mean, there was nothing that was going to beat him, and that came after the John Tortorella we dented yeah. Duke Rask in Game 5 comment. So, um, no, he's, a, he's an outstanding goalie. Um, right there, maybe maybe Bobrovsky's better. Certainly Bobrovsky is two Vesnas. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rask has been there for that, too. And um, I just think it's... Uh, that's the first area of concern in the series is, you know, who out goaltends who. And Rask right now would have a, a little box checked for me going into the right. series. All right, let's move on to a couple of quick things about uh, about the Hurricanes. Sebastian Ajo has not been a dominating offensive player. But he did turn game three and game four on defensive plays behind the net. Yep. He steals the Robin Lehner, uh, you know, wrap, you know, rim, hard rim, try, tries to go up high, uh, knocks it out of the air, gets it to Williams for the goal. And then he pressures, I guess it was Adam Pellick behind the net, mm-hmm. steals the puck, gets it to Fogel, gets it to Taravani. 
Is that the development of Sebastian Ajo when he doesn't have the elite offense? He's still doing the other things. Right, and I think he's going to become more of a factor moving on. I think he'll be a prominent guy, has to be, in the next round. And I still maintain, although everybody says he's okay, that he's not. Oh, yeah. He's just not. He's not so taking face-offs, really. He's just not. So there's going to be something that we'll hear about when this is over. But to his credit, he's smart enough, competes hard enough. And knows how to make a difference. And he made a big difference in that Islanders series. Oh, it was tremendous. Um, in the in game four, Rod Brindamore put Svechnikov up with Ajo and Taravainen. Uh, I know everybody called for that at the beginning of the year. It's at the end of the year. And it looks like that's the way Rod's going to start, at least. What are your thoughts on that group? I, I really like it because it's all about when the time is right and trusting the coach to know when the time is right. Just watching him at practice yesterday. I made a comment to somebody we were sitting around and I just said his improvement, even though he scored 20 goals, his improvement as a player from the first day of training camp to where he's at right now is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And the only way he was able to do that is because they cut away all the noise that surrounds a player like that. Um, Second overall pick, future of the franchise, face on a ticket, face on on the outside of the building. All these things are all nice but at times can really cloud a player in terms of his thinking in his first year. Brenda Moore has handled this guy perfectly, and because of that, there's been a steady incline in terms of his um, confidence, and then it goes hand-in-hand with his talent. And then I really believe in the six games that he missed, he watched so closely, and he recognized what playoff hockey is truly about. And when he came into the Islanders series, he was ready to make a difference the correct way. He wasn't getting involved in anything outside the realm of the hard north and south game, punishing hits the right way. Even took a penalty, but the penalty was kind of a a marginal call. But but it wasn't like swinging your stick, getting caught out of position, taking a run out of a guy because Mm -hmm. you're frustrated, you know, and still maybe scoring a goal or two and everybody getting excited. This guy here was... uh, was spot on when he entered the Islanders series. So now Rod believes the time might be right for that after all this, and it might be. And yeah. once he gets there, he won't look back. No, he, he's, he also is one of the happiest athletes. He's always smiling. Yeah. It's ridiculous. He's always, he always has a smile on his face. And I know uh, you could tell the way Dougie Hamilton was very protective of him yeah. after what happened with Ovechkin. Uh, I, I thought Hamilton took it personally, uh, which, again, speaks to the, the way this team cares about each other. Let's get to the defense. And I'm not trying to eliminate Hamilton or DeHaan or Fleury or Trevor Van Reems like from this discussion. But Slavin is on another level at this point. And Pesci and Falk are, like, right behind him with the way that they are playing. Those guys are playing heavy minutes, all close to almost 25 a game, and I think they're getting better. They really are. And, um, again, you go to history, and usually you get teams that are built, you know, to win with, uh, out of the six, three real cut above the rest guys. And um, you go to the greatest team in NHL history in the 70s, the Montreal Canadiens, and it was Larry Robinson, Guy Lapointe, Serge Savard. And then there was a fourth guy. It was Bill Nyrop. There was Brian Engblom for a bit. Okay. There's, uh, you know, there's, um, you know, all these other guys that uh, Rod Langway sure. is a rookie. Right, young guy. 
they all come in, but those three held it together. Now, that's the elite of the elite, and I'm not drawing comparisons. I'm just saying if you want to build a defense, you want to have six capable guys, you want to have maybe one guy who can get in a Norris conversation, and you have two subordinates right in back of that guy that are very close because three will anchor your entire defense because, you know, your three are always in the top four, and your three can always be spotted in the group, the five-six group if you have to, mm-hmm. and they're always killing penalties, and they're always there in the trenches when you have to win the game. And that's what we've been able to see. But um, Slavin now will get the recognition he deserves. Falk's season has been outstanding. Yeah. And I'm happy for him because uh, he came in with so much potential that it all went away. And now it's kind of back again, and he's still young. And he's 26 Pesci, years old. Yeah, and Pesci, <laughs> and Pesci is such a consistent player that he's able to play the same way all the time. And even within games when he starts poorly, he can build it and recover and be better for it. But you got guys right there that are going to play anywhere between, you know, 24 and 28 minutes, high-end plays, yeah. high-end matchups, and do it well. Uh, it's uh, why, why do people still look at Falk with skepticism? Because there's, there's just there's so much attached to it, and there's so much... When things happen and go off the rails, people just don't want to forget. Right. And I think that's what it is. And it's like your reputation. You earn it. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to change it, it's a hard thing to shake unless sure. you really convince people. But to his credit, I just think he's more level of maturity. I would say just by looking at him from the start of the season, I think he's fitter this year yeah. than he was. And um, and I also he's think leaner, yeah, leaner, yeah. And and so maybe adjusted something training wise that helped him, the little step, half step that he might need to be a little bit quicker. But overall, I think now he can be in a perfect spot where he's not being asked to be the ringleader. He is a leader, but he's just part of it, and that's more about his personality and uh, the team seeing the benefit of that. Final thing. The, the the element of Boston that the Hurricanes uh, would might have the most trouble with. Oh, uh, the, the high end of their lineup is 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 great two ways. They're great offensively and they're exquisite defensively. So, you know, you have to get through and you have to push some. Uh, in Patrice Bergeron, one of the greatest players ever, you have to push him into a position where he's overly taxed. What I mean by this is you're going to have to have two lines really clicking, mm-hmm. two lines that are that are a problem for the Bruins. If it develops into a one-line approach and Cassidy's worried about one line, he's got the best guy in the world to blanket that one line. That's my point. So the Canes are going to have to be able to outnumber them in terms of um, um, how well lines perform to make sure that, you know, there's a little onus on whoever Krejci has as his wingers. Um, and then there's David Krejci, who's kind of a, a hidden factor, who um, you can't give him a lot of room. And so, you know, within this series, Rod will determine which defense pairing plays against who, against Bergeron or Krejci. Then when you get to the bottom six, the Bruins have a really good bottom six mm-hmm. now with Charlie Coyle. Charlie Coyle has gone into the three holes of center, big body presence, hardworking guy. 
um, Sean Corrali. You know, you look at Chris Wagner, you look at these guys, the bottom half of the forward group of the Hurricanes are going to have to be ready to dig, really dig in harder than it was against the Islanders. Even though the Islanders have that great identity line, they like to call it, um, it's better with the Bruins. I think yeah. their support is better. They bring more fabric to the game. But I do like the Canes' defense against their defense. And I do like the Canes' opportunity to forecheck in the series, even against Chara. Sure. I think if you wear down Chara, you keep going to his corner, it's not like it used to be. He has a tough time mm-hmm. under pressure now. He eludes it based on smarts, support from his teammates, and just the fact that he's that good. But if you wear him down, game in and game out, that'll be a big plus. Having McAvoy to start or not is a big key. And then if Morazic gets the nod, he's going to have to be on an even keel with Tukarask. I, I get the feeling seeing Peter out here practicing. I think we're going to see Peter in game one whenever that may, may be. Could be Tomorrow Thursday. <laughs> yeah, whenever. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome, buddy. That's this week's Kane's Corner with Adam Gold. Download or subscribe to our podcast every Monday during the Carolina hurricane season in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen at WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. And don't forget, for the latest Canes coverage, log on to WRALsportsfan.com. Every game on the Canes radio flagship, 99.9 The Fan.